Welcome to South Asia Chat, a podcast brought to you by the Institute of South Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. I'm Ramita Ayer and I'm a research analyst at the Institute. On 25th July, the Bharatiya Janata Party-led National Democratic Alliance's candidate, Draupadi Murmu, took oath as India's 15th president. A former governor of Jharkhand and a two-time legislator from Odisha, President Murmu is India's first person from a tribal background and second woman to occupy the office. In this episode, I will be discussing the recent elections with Dr. Narayan Lakshman, Associate Editor at The Hindu and Non-Resident Senior Fellow at ISAS. Welcome to South Asia Chat, Dr. Lakshman. So the presidential position in India is considered to be largely ceremonial, but one that can be important in times of uncertainty. To start off our conversation, could you throw some light on the role and the powers of the president? Absolutely. Um, While, as you rightly said, in some senses, the president's role is a nominal one, uh, the president of the Republic of India is indeed the head of the Indian state. And in that regard, he or she is also the commander-in-chief of all the Indian armed forces. And more broadly, the President of India has been granted the responsibility and authority to protect the Constitution itself. And towards that end, enjoys powers that include legislative, executive, military, the power to appoint, and the power to pardon. So legislative powers uh, include the President's power to actually dissolve the Lok Sabha, Uh, A bill that has been passed even by both houses of parliament can become law only if it receives presidential uh, assent. And the president has the power to nominate 12 members to the Rajya Sabha based on their accomplishments in their respective fields. And finally, and quite significantly in the times that we live in today, uh, the president, and at the state level this also applies to governors, the president has the power to send back a bill to parliament uh, for reconsideration by parliament unless it is a money bill or a constitutional amendment bill. So in this regard, the legislative powers of the president are quite deep. Uh, Executive power goes back to the nominal power of the president in the sense that while yes, it is the prime minister and the cabinet of ministers backed by the power of parliament who make executive decisions, Uh, The president signs off on all of these bills, so in that sense it is in the name of the president. So executive power closely uh, converges with the nominal power that the president has. The president, however, again has significant real-world powers in that sense when it comes to appointing key officials within the uh, Indian constitutional framework. So the president has the power and responsibility to appoint the prime minister of India. The president appoints the chief justice, which is extremely significant. Uh, The president is also the appointing authority for states, and he has the power, he or she has the power to dismiss a governor who has violated their constitution in the commission of their acts. Other than this, there are miscellaneous other posts that the president has the power of appointment for, uh, including ambassadors to other countries and so forth. Militarily, There is, again, a very significant role that the president plays as the commander-in-chief of the armed forces. Uh, He or she has the power to declare war, indeed, and to conclude peace with any country. Of course, here, too, it is on the advice of the Council of Ministers, headed by the prime minister. Finally, all treaties with any foreign countries are signed in the name of the president of India. So there, too, the president, while it would be unlikely to have cases of them withholding assent when the treaty has been negotiated already by the 
Council of Ministers led by the Prime Minister, uh, the role that the President pl plays in this regard cannot be overlooked. Finally, and in a jurisprudential sense, uh, the President has the power to par grant pardons if the punishment for the crime is an offense against the union law and granted by a military court or the punishment is that, that of death. So in the case of the death penalty, uh, commutation and pardons are possible uh, by the president. So just given this, you can see the absolute breadth of power that the president of India has. And um, one would be tempted sometimes to say that all of it is nominal, but in fact, and in the actual carrying out of duties, especially with regards to the bills passed by parliament, and in the relationship that the president has with governors and the governor's roles in different states, uh, it can be quite significant. It can have real world and immediate repercussions uh, in terms of governance across the country. Coming to the recent elections, ever since President Murmu was announced at the end, as the NDA's candidate, much has been discussed about her caste identity. She is the country's first Adivasi or tribal president. So what does this really mean for a country like India? So let me just provide a little background in terms of the actual election of the president themselves. Uh, so as you said, on July 18th, uh, the election began by July 21st, it was concluded, and uh, President uh, Murmu was uh, elected to the role. Uh, she was elected under Article 62.1 of the Constitution, which says that an election to fill a vacancy caused by the expiration of the term of the office of president shall be completed before the expiration of the term. And that is President Ramnath Kovind, the former president, his tenure ended on July 25th. So the actual election itself was conducted by the Election Commission of India. And as we know, unlike the election to, the, uh, to parliament and to the state assemblies, this is an indirect election, if you will. The five-year term that the president uh, enjoys uh, is based on election by the MPs, the members of parliament of both houses, and MLAs, that is members of legislative assemblies across states. And as per the 1971 census, the votes of all of these uh, electors, if you will, it's in a sense similar to the electoral college of that you see in the United States political system. Uh, but here, the value, the, the weightage assigned to each elector, the value is determined by the population of each state. And that determines the voting power of each state in total. So this will also have ramifications when we later analyze which parties voted for and against this particular candidate. Uh, and to seal the election and to win the nomination of a candidate uh, requires uh, at least 50 electors as proposers and 50 electors as seconders. And they have to win 50% of the total vote plus one additional vote. So now coming to your question about caste identity, it is certainly significant that uh, President Murmu is India's first Adivasi president. Uh, she is from the tribal community called the Santal uh, from Odisha. Um, and her election to the highest office of the country comes 101 years after two tribes people were elected to legislative bodies in colonial India. So in that sense, it marks a long arc in the very gradual rise of um, you know, appointments and political power being uh, granted or won, indeed, by tribal people across the country. So the founding figures of the Republic were acutely aware of the dis socially and economically disadvantaged position of tribal people, and they had made special provisions such as the fifth and sixth schedules of the Constitution 
to alleviate and mitigate their conditions. So Jaipal Singh Munda, for example, a sportsman and tribal leader, was a prominent member of the Constituent Assembly itself uh, when India's very constitution was forged, who forcefully articulated the fears and hopes of tribal people, continuing this uh, early tradition of bringing their welfare to the forefront of political debate. In 2000, two states, Jharkhand and Chhattisgarh, were formed to give more focused attention to the concentrated tribal populations in these regions. Uh, the scheduled tribes and other traditional forest dwellers Act was passed in 2006. And in this, as I said, long arc of progress, uh, Ms. Murmu's election is a milestone uh, in, the, in terms of tribal empowerment. Um, having said that, uh, I would say that she is not limited to her caste identity. She was the governor of Jharkhand since 2015, where she proved herself to be a independent-minded and powerful leader in her own right. So in that sense, her entry into office is also quite exciting to see as not only the first uh, leader from a tribal background and a woman uh, and from a minority group across this country uh, in the current political milieu, but it is also of someone who has shown themselves to be an able leader. So there is much to look forward to in terms of how she will carry out her presidential duties. Uh, President Murmu won against the joint opposition candidate Yashwan Sinha by a significant margin, garnering over 64% of the votes. What's interesting is that the final vote count suggests that a certain number of voting MPs and MLAs, that's member, members of parliament and members of legislative assemblies, they've defied, uh, defied their respective party lines and voted for President Murmu. Would you view this cross-voting as another crack in the opposition's unity? Absolutely. So also on your uh, earlier what we discussed, let me just add that, um, you know, the BJP has certainly done very well in this regard in terms of, uh, you know, bringing to the forefront a leader such as uh, Draupadi Murmu, because uh, in a sense, this is very uh, astute political, uh, you know, configuring by the prime minister where as you said just now in terms of the opposition reaction, it gets hard for any opposition party to really pitch its voice against such a candidate who not only represents the tribal community, but you know, she's a woman and um, there's ongoing discussions to bring women to the forefront of politics in India as well. Um, and at the same time, she is a minority community. So um, I think in this sense, Prime Minister Modi has, uh, you know, this is a masterclass by him. He has actually uh, brought to the forefront a leader who likely will be aware of and be, in some cases, possibly sympathetic to the politics of the BJP and its alliance, uh, which is not surprising, again, that is always the case. Um, but at the same time, you know, she, she, in her own right, as I said earlier, is a strong leader and will take a stand on issues based on her own governance experience. Um, and at the same time, you know, this is going to, her elevation to the presidential role will galvanize tribal communities across the country. And um, even though there have been many critics who have uh, said that this, has, this is more a symbolic act rather than substantial or substantive, um, in the context of a systematic erosion of prote protections accorded to tribals, you know, harassment and suppression by police and other local authorities, and a general state of intolerance towards them, that is their current state, uh, this is a welcome 
uh, nomination and a, and, a, and a victory for her, for President Murmo, uh, which could change how all of these issues are seen from a public policy sense. So uh, now let me um, get more specific on the question of the opposition that you mentioned. Indeed, uh, Draupadi Murmu won 64% of the votes polled in the election, and she left around, I think, 36% for Yashwan Sena. Uh, states where Ms. Murmu won more votes than the number of MLAs in the state assembly uh, who belong to the BJP uh, include Assam, Madhya Pradesh, West Bengal, and Maharashtra, possibly some more, and there were likely votes from the TMC, the Trinamool Congress in West Bengal, and from the opposition parties uh, in Bihar and Chhattisgarh. Uh, similarly, there have been reports that 17 members of parliament from both houses of parliament and 126 MLAs from across the states supposedly uh, defied their party whips or their party lines and voted for now President Murmu. So many regional parties, uh, although they had political reservations against the BJP, including, for example, in the south most strongly, states such as Tamil Nadu and Kerala, had indicated their willingness uh, to see uh, President, uh, to see uh, Ms. Murmu in Rashtrapati Bhavan. Um, and quite to the surprise, and this is a point that the BJP made a you know very clear uh, sort of victory uh, statement over is the fact that uh, Pre President Murmu won an unexpected vote from Kerala, where the BJP's NDA does not even have a single MLA in the 140-member assembly. Um, and so this is seen as, you know, extremely astute, as I said, uh, political posturing by the government. And uh, the bigger question to ask is, uh, what does it mean for the opposition in the broader context? So in the broader picture, you know, it is important to highlight issues such as the absolute uh, political disarray that the Congress party finds itself in as the, uh, one of the leading parties in the opposition. And that, of course, goes to core questions such as you know, dynastic control of the party itself, a lack of ideology and cadre discipline, and very patchy elect electoral strategies that have not really yielded it uh, any significant victories in recent years, apart from maybe at the state level in a few cases, uh, such as Rajasthan. So I think this, at the broadest level, this most certainly strengthens the hand of the BJP. Um, whether it will yield direct electoral gains is hard to tell. We'll have to wait and see. We'll have to see whether, for example, the BJP and its allies will go beyond the election of just President Murmu to engage the tribal communities across India more significantly in terms of welfare measures, uh, in terms of human rights, often where you know there are allegations of um, overreach by law enforcement in tribal areas, um, and whether <clears throat> overall they will be mobilized politically as a group to deliver electoral gains against the BJP. So that is still remains a question mark. Uh, similarly, on the opposition side, I don't think, I don't see the opposition as pitching itself directly into the tribal campaigning mode because of this election. Uh, but at the same time, it is a wake-up call. It is very much a wake-up call for the uh, opposition, whether the Congress or whether regional leaders across uh, you know, parties in the south and in the east of India. Um, it is a wake-up call to pay attention to uh, marginalized communities, to tribal people, to scheduled castes and scheduled tribes, and to actively work on critiquing the governments which are in power to enact policies for their benefit. So in that regard, uh, the election of President uh, Murmu 
is goes beyond symbolism. It has very real world echoes, and it is over time that we will see whether it impacts policy and election results in the way that people hope that it will. So one of the things you you briefly touched upon was uh, the role of the BJP. Uh, so the NDA, NDA's uh, candidature of President Murmu was seen as a masterstroke move, as you mentioned, uh, for choosing someone that most parties would find difficult to oppose in a way. So uh, what are the potential political gains that you see from for the BJP from this election? So I think the BJP will definitely see this as one additional arrow in its quiver of its campaign to broaden its social base. Uh, the BJP, let's just take Tamil Nadu as an example. Okay, the, the Tamil Nadu is a state where you've had the Dravidian movement. Uh, you've had lower castes mobilized for the best part of 50 years by the Dravidian parties, the DMK and the AIA DMK. And they have built enormous electoral success on the back of such mobilization to the point where national parties such as the BJP and the Congress, even the Congress, which has been a presence in the state for a number of decades, are reduced to a absolute minority party in the state, state assembly. And I think in such cases, the BJP has, uh, in the South especially, been seen as a party of the North. It has been seen as a party of upper caste. It's been seen as a party of Hindutva and Hindi, the language. Uh, and it is seen, in a sense, as being too remote and far away. And in a sense, its very presence and attempt to have to engage in political activity in Tamil Nadu is seen as antithetical to state autonomy. Uh, because state autonomy was, has been hard fought for in states like Tamil Nadu and so forth uh, ever since the time of independence. It has taken a different shape. This campaign for state autonomy has taken many different shapes across states such as Kerala, Tamil Nadu, uh, even uh, Andhra, uh, to an extent Telangana and West Bengal. So these are states where the strong regional movements or social movements have embedded themselves very deeply into the polity. And that makes it harder for a national party, which is seen as an alien party in a sense, alien to the regional and local population, to make an inroad into the politics and expand its footprint in the legislative assembly. And ultimately, of course, capture power. Uh, so in such a case, uh, whether it is by having a president who is from a tribal community, or whether it is by, let's say in the case of Tamil Nadu, um, you know, give, winning over into its cadre, recruiting into its cadre, an increasing number of leaders from who have earlier been associated with the Dravidian movement. Those, that is the means that the BJP has and is actually utilizing as an active strategy the, uh, these days uh, to to ch in a sense change the mind of the voting electorate here and to to be seen as part of the political milieu rather than as an alien entity. So in that regard, I think this process, uh, I, I use the word social re-engineering, this process of socio-political re-engineering uh, is extremely gradual, but it is extremely powerful. And it, it, it goes to all levels. It begins uh, with moves such as 
the elevation of uh, President uh, Draupadi Murmu to her status, to her office as she occupies now, all the way down to you know the village level, let's say in a remote part of rural Tamil Nadu, where the BJP and its allies, uh, such as the uh, the, uh, the RSS, are quietly promoting Hindu festivals, or they are quietly you know uh, build, uh, contributing funds to build up temples things like that um, so social socially and socio politically there is a deep process of engagement and transformation which uh, is definitely helped at the highest level by the elevation of uh, president bormu uh, and at the sort of foot soldier and grassroots level by a lot of the other work that the bjp is doing across states so in that sense i see this as one more as i said uh, arrow in the quiver of the bjp's uh, multifaceted multidimensional campaign to gradually transform the very nature of indian politics more in line with its own political vision so i want to close off this podcast by looking at what we can expect over the next 5 years so india's previous president ramnath govind was seen as someone who was rather low profile during his tenure uh with respect to president murmu during our conversation today you've used phrases like independent and powerful mind and strong leader so do you see president murmu taking a different path perhaps charting a more proactive course during her tenure absolutely i think that's quite a distinct possibility uh, because uh, let's look at let's take a step back and look at the broader context again she comes uh, president murmu comes to power comes into office at a time when increasingly especially in opposition run states um governors are taking an extremely proactive role to the point where they are being questioned in some corners for political overreach so let me give you example so again coming back to uh, my home state of tamil nadu uh we we have a governor who has inordinately delayed a bill that the state government has tried to pass for several months on uh, neet which is the national eligibility come entrance test which is for medical school it's like the entrance exam and while there's a mandated common test across the country tamil nadu has the tamil nadu government has taken the view that such uh, a, a test would benefit only the upper classes of the state because in order to prepare for it and succeed you need additional inputs for example private tuition lessons and so forth which the poor who are primarily in government schools across the country often tamil medium are unable to to master to excel at and therefore gain entry into medical school and i think while that is you can look at the pros and cons of it because on the other side of course there is uh, the advantage of standardization of a test across the whole country which is an important trait of an advancing and emerging economy where you know you have merit as the basis for professional uh, careers and professional uh, university education such as the medical profession um and so whatever that debate may be the governor in this state uh, had enormously uh, uh, very uh, inordinately delayed the his approval for the bill and has had sent it back and despite the legislative assembly again sending it back to him had not passed it so uh, uh, this is just one among several examples uh, to the point where the chief minister has taken it up at several other forums 
um, and escalated it. Uh, similarly, in Kerala, there have been uh, cases of, um, I'm, I'm not precisely sure which sectors, but there are multiple policy areas where the governor has uh, been uh, seen as overreaching the constitutionally mandated position. So the, again, this goes back to your first question, which was what are the powers enjoyed by uh, the president and the mirror reflection of that at the state level is are the powers of the governor. Uh, they are, while they are not entirely nominal, they are they very much fall within the bounds of acting within the uh, uh, aid and advice of the executive. So the executive being the prime minister and the cabinet of ministers at the union government level, and the chief minister and the uh, state cabinet at the state level. Uh, whenever a governor or a president steps beyond these boundaries, uh, especially in the highly contested political configuration that you have in India today, uh, the gov that authority, uh, although they are a constitutional authority, faces the risk of being dragged into pork barrel pol politics. So the pushes and pulls of party politics. And that, whichever way you look at it, that is beneath constitutional office, that is extra constitutional, and that is not a desirable state or a quality of politics that should be, uh, that should prevail in any state across India. So while one way of looking at President Murmu's, you know, future prognosis into her future or looking at how she might act in office, one way is to say that, look, she has been an extremely independent minded and powerful and uh, you know, thoughtful governor since 2015 in Jharkhand, uh, and you know, hailing all her experience coming up as a grassroots leader. The other is to very much hope that she will tread also with the due amount of uh, caution and sensitivity to the political balance between the BJP at the center and certain states where non-BJP, non-NDA parties are in power. And that includes specifically awareness of the sort of seesaw, the push and pull of uh, what is happening between each of these state governments and the governor as the constitutional authority in each of those states. If she is able to navigate that successfully and is seen as a fair and just leader in that context, um, I have confidence that she will uh, not only uh, make a name for herself in the history of uh, in, in Indian presidential politics, but she will also be seen as a leader who truly made an impact uh, coming from uh, the background of the tribal community. And thank you so much for joining us today, uh, Dr. Lakshman. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You were listening to South Asia Chat. To learn more about our work, visit us at isas.nus.edu.sg. You can also get updates on social media. We're on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram.